You're listening to the Pure Desire Podcast, your safe place to find hope, healing, and freedom from sexual addiction, betrayal, and relationship issues. Hello, hello. I'm your host, Trevor Windsor, and you're listening to episode 243 of the Pure Desire Podcast. Here joining me as always, back in person, my co-host, Nick Stumbo. Happy, happy, happy. <laughs> um, okay, so I think of Uncle Cy. Yeah, from Duck, Duck Dynasty. Dynasty. I think that that's show? the first time I've used Duck Dynasty, which is surprising to me because there's so much quotable material oh from those guys. Goodness. But now happy, we're cooking happy, with, happy. with peanut oil. That could be your yeah. next one. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uncle Cy and his sweet tea. That is amazing. Um, I, I I think I own like the first two or three seasons on DVD. You remember DVDs? Yeah. Those, those things. We still own some. Oh, okay. Cool. Me too. Anyways, um, today... Uh, today might be one of my favorite episodes you've ever done, and it's because I love this man that we had on. We had on Dr. Craig Cashwell, um, and we'll talk a little bit about more of who he is and what he does. Um, but we had him on to talk about something that he's passionate about, something we've talked about a little bit on the podcast, but uh, he came on to talk about spiritual bypass. Yes. And you'll thank me, Trevor, because I chose the Uncle Cy reference as opposed to multitudes of Sunday school kids songs I could have brought up that all, you know, reinforce that theme of like, well, if you have Jesus in your life, you're happy all the time. Totally. That's just the life. And and there is truth that Christ brings us joy and peace and, you know, the, the hope of heaven and all right. of that. But I think spiritual bypass really looks at an unrealistic way of living that just says, I should always be happy. And if I'm not, I need to kind of press that down, as you'll yep. hear Dr. Craig talk about so well today, yep. and ignore very real things that are part of recovery. And so um, for all of us that can slip into some of that mode of, I, I just need to be happy, happy, happy. And if I'm not, I should act like I am. Right. Um, today's episode is really about permission to feel the feelings and to go through the journey, even when it gets a little uncomfortable or painful. Yes. Um, so I think it was a great conversation. And I think everyone, whether you're married, single, struggling, a spouse, this is just yes. some, one of those that yeah. is kind of common to the human element. Yeah. Uh, so I hope everyone really enjoys the conversation today. It is a powerful one for sure. So who is Craig Cashwell? Craig is a professor in the counselor education program at William & Mary. Uh, he also coordinates the doctoral program there. He's been a professional counselor for 31 years, and you can tell, uh, and has also been an educator for 28 of those years. Listen to this. He has uh, over 140 publications, including three books. He's even received research awards from the American Counseling Association and the Mississippi Counseling Association. So he's even more impressive than maybe we realized. Um, he also serves, and this is where we've had experience with him. He serves on, uh, on faculty, the teaching faculty for the International Institute of Trauma and Addiction Professionals, our ITAP. And he was one of the trainers in our PSAP training for module two, uh, which we got to experience. And he was my favorite. I do not get me wrong. Marnie, you're amazing if you're listening to this. Also, if you're listening to this, you're even more amazing. But <laughs> Craig, I, just just an amazing man. Um, but before we get to that, uh, let's just let's do our normal thing, Nick. First, we want you to subscribe to the podcast subscribe. listener. Make sure that you do. Don't wait any longer. Find us on all the major platforms. Leave us a review. We're at 413. Review. Not that I'm keeping track, but we're at 413. We need more. Uh, and so that means a lot to us. Please do that. Also, follow us on social media. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Facebook, this is a new feature. Twitter, Instagram, the app Pure Desire, PDMI. Also, you can search uh, these full episodes up on YouTube. Just search Pure Desire Ministries. And then, uh, Nick, we wanted to talk about, uh, again, we and we did this recently, but we want to talk about this 15-minute free consultation that we offer for our Pure Desire Counseling Program. Free! <laughs> yeah, so a little bit more about that. We know... <laughs> That for a lot of people, and some of um, those are the, the target audience for today's episode, particularly when we get caught in spiritual bypass, the idea of counseling can feel like defeat, weakness, um, depending on our background, maybe something Christians shouldn't even need. Yeah. Um, and it, it can be, quite frankly, expensive. And so we want to help people really make those decisions well and mm -hmm. understand if pure desire counseling is right for them. And that's why they can get 15 minutes, uh, not free counseling, right. but 15 minutes of free conversation of trying to determine is counseling at Pure Desire the best fit for you. And yep. so whether you're the spouse, the struggler, a family member, really encourage you to schedule that and mm -hmm. um, take those next steps because it's just an easy way that you can reach out and determine 
what might be right for you. Absolutely. So if you're interested in this, you can go to puredesire.org slash consultation to then schedule your 15 minute free consultation to talk about pure desire counseling. All right. Here is our time with Dr. Craig Cashwell talking about spiritual bypass. Dr. Craig Cashwell, uh, we're so glad to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Uh, Nick and I had the privilege, and I, I use that word very intentionally, privilege of sitting under your teaching in module two of the pastoral sex addiction professional training through ITAP. Uh, if you're familiar with Pure Desire uh, listener, then you know that ITAP is who we have certification through with our clinicians, and a lot of our material is based on the training through that. And uh, Craig, in one of um, in one of your sessions, you cover the uh, a topic in your teaching and one that you're actually really, really passionate about. And I think that's why it came through so strongly is something called spiritual bypass. Um, over the last couple of years, we have become more and more aware of spiritual bypass and how common it is in the church. But today we want to define it, talk through it, um, and really establish how it can be so detrimental to emotional, mental, and sexual health. So for many of our listeners, this may be a new term, spiritual bypass. Um, so let's just start by defining it. What is spiritual bypass? Yeah, so it's a term that's been around for about 30 years um, in the mental health literature. And essentially, it's um, it's the idea that sometimes we avoid our psychological work um, by pivoting and solely focusing on the spiritual aspects. Um, and so we think of it as a, a defensive coping strategy. It's a way to, to sort of um, hold at arm's length um, things that feel uncomfortable, emotions or experiences that feel uncomfortable. And so it has this avoidance function to it. Um, and um, it, it's a way basically to not deal with unfinished psychological business. Yeah, so I can already hear for some listeners are like, well, wait a minute, you know, faith is what we need, we should lean into the spiritual yeah. and sometimes psychological can be, you know, maybe leading us astray. And trust me, listener, we're going to get into all that. So yes. hold on to your questions and reservations, because <laughs> that's why we're, we're having the conversation. But you know, I think what we've seen at Pure Desire, and probably every listener can relate to the extreme forms of this, where someone is just like, well, you know, I, I'm just trusting God to provide for me. Yeah. And they're like, they're not looking for work. They're not actually doing anything to try to get a job. They just think yeah. like money's going to drop in their doorstep while they sit at home on the couch. And <laughs> any one of us that's heard that is like, mm, I think you're kind of using your faith as a way to bypass doing the things you can do, the things you're capable of. And so yeah. I, I think it might be helpful if we realize, oh yeah, we've we've all encountered an extreme version of that, that we feel like that that's not healthy. We're just trying to look at what are the ways maybe in our recovery journeys, have we bought into some similar, more subtle forms of that, that same approach? Totally. Sure. No, I think that's a great example. And I appreciate what you said, Nick, because we really are talking about an integration of the spiritual and the psychological, yeah. right? So it's when we only look at one side of that equation. So there are people who look at the psychological work of recovery, but don't have a spiritual space that they hold. They don't mm -hmm. have a set of a foundational set of beliefs religiously or spiritually that sort of anchor them. Um, and so that's the other side of the equation, right? So um, yeah, I see, I've worked with people who said, well, I don't really want to call it an addiction because that sounds permanent. And I know that God is going to deliver right. me from this, but they didn't do the work of recovery, right? They weren't right. doing the active sorts of tasks of, of recovery. Um, and again, it's that expectation that God will do this without any efforting on our part, without any, um, without, without a, a, a constructed set of work together. Totally. Right? That's the way that I think about it. Yeah. I, um, it's funny, I, and maybe this, the language has stuck more with me just because of my experience in athletics, but I've heard people talk about the term Jesus juke that you kind of like, it, it's a way to like sidestep or, uh, make a move to get around, uh, really addressing something. And so if, you know, maybe you've never heard spiritual bypass, another terminology you might've heard is Jesus juke, um, where you over-spiritualize in order to really not have to face, you know, what you're standing right in front of. Or like, instead of asking someone more follow-up questions, finding out how we can help, we just give the, I'll pray for you. And yeah. it shuts down the conversation. We can yeah. move on. God will provide for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I believe it. Yeah. yeah. And, and I hope again that every listener can agree. There are certain platitudes we can hear used in Christianity that we realize that that's not very helpful. It's just a way to minimize what's going on. And I think the word of the day is integration that you just said, Craig, that's what we're looking to do yeah. is see how can I integrate deeply held views of faith and spirituality and, you know, belief in the Bible with an understanding of how do I do that work of recovery? Because it's partnering with, I, I believe, what God wants to do in my life that leads to uh, those successful outcomes. 
So Craig, when you've talked about spiritual bypass, you've often referred to it in two ways, that it can be either chronic or acute. And so uh, what is the difference between those two? What is meant by chronic spiritual bypass versus acute spiritual bypass? Yeah, so the research has really kind of taken off on this in the last um, five to seven years. We now have a good way to measure this construct of spiritual bypass. And so we've been doing a lot more quantitative research around it. And one of the really interesting findings is that um, we really don't see psychological problems for people who maybe use this in these very acute ways. And what I mean by that is when there is something that happens that in that moment is so overwhelming, that we really cannot cope with it in that moment. Um, and, and we turn to, I, I just have to turn this over to God, or I know that God's got this, or I will surrender this to God in that moment. That doesn't really seem to be problematic. Um, and in fact, we actually, th that may be a very healthy strategy when you think the alternative would be sexually acting out or going on a cocaine binge or what some of the other alternatives mm -hmm. might be. But what we're finding is that when people engage in this as sort of a chronic long-term coping strategy to avoid difficult emotions and difficult experiences, that's when it starts to really take a toll. So we know that there's a psychological process when we suppress things that we don't want to feel, which spiritual bypass can do um, for us. It can help us sort of pretend like we're fine, right? Um, then um, that actually has kind of a rebound effect. So it shows up in the body. People start developing physical illnesses. Um, they develop um, sometimes more intense, like if, if they're struggling with anxiety, for example, now they're struggling with panic attacks. Mm. And the reason is because they've been struggling, trying so hard not to feel. Yeah. And I often think about emotions as sort of a super ball. If we push them down, and they're going to bounce back stronger. Mm. And so by sort of pushing that away, by trying to pretend like everything's fine when we're struggling with something in whatever way that might be, yeah. trying to pretend that we're not sad or pretend that we're not anxious or pretend that we don't feel ashamed because we're a child of God, when we push that stuff away that's actually there, it actually kind of comes back in this rebound kind of way. It just psychologically doesn't work. So that's, that's how I think about it. It really, we think about it more problematic when this is, this is people's go-to every time they feel uncomfortable, they will come up with one of those platitudes. Um, it shows up a lot in grief work, for example, where we hear people tell other people not to be sad because the deceased is in a better place. Right. right? So theologically, we, we would probably all agree that that's true. Um, and yet the point of the statement is don't feel sad. Yep. Um, which is not a healthy message because we're sad, not because we don't think that our loved one is in a better place. We're sad because they're not here right. and we're grieving our loss, right? Yeah. That would be an example of that. Yeah. So when I hear you describe that, Craig, it sounds like that spiritual bypass often becomes a way that a believer can deal with cognitive dissonance between what I believe is true about God and what I'm feeling aren't lining up. And what I'm feeling would seem to invalidate my beliefs. And so rather than be willing to wrestle with them and think about, well, why do I feel this way? And where is it coming from? What's yeah. driving it? We just try to ignore it because we go to the, the platitudes. We go to what we believe. Like, well, I believe God is enough for every situation, mm -hmm. even though right now I feel terrified and alone and don't feel like he's enough. But I don't want to voice that because then it maybe sounds like I have weak faith yep. or yep. that I'm a mess and maybe I really don't believe these things. So we, we choose to just try to go with belief as a way to solve the cognitive dissonance. Do you think that's... Is that an accurate way to describe it? Yeah. So I, yeah, absolutely. So I think of the, I think about the spiritual bypass as sort of a part that slides into place when another part of us starts to feel too much yeah. or to have an experience that, that, that cognitive dissonance that you describe. And so it really is, it's a protective function, right? Mm -hmm. It kind of comes in to protect us from that discomfort, that dissonance that we feel. Um, uh, but unfortunately, in the end, it doesn't help us resolve it. It yeah. just is a mask. It covers it up and it doesn't go away in that yeah. point. So, that's, yeah, it's a great way to, I, I like that, Nick. That's a good way to describe it. And it's so ironic to me uh, that, you know, especially if, if you're in recovery, if you're in healing and you understand the idea of a coping mechanism, something you're using to numb out from the pain and difficulty of life, this is going to be an interesting and ironic part, you know, of your journey that you realize that you can even use spiritual language and theological truths or doctrines to actually do the same thing that your addiction was doing, that you're using to cope 
and numb out to those to what you're experiencing. I think that's such an ironic and interesting thing that our brains look for all these different ways to not have to feel pain or discomfort and we'll even use our relationship with the Lord and the biblical truths that we've been taught and know so well to do that. It's fascinating. So let's kind of get into that a little bit more. What would you say, Craig, are some common ways that we use spiritual bypass? And obviously, you know, our audience are people who are struggling with are in recovery um, with sexual addiction or, or are on the healing journey from betrayal trauma. How might we use uh, spiritual bypass in some common ways in those contexts? Yeah, so we've actually already named several, right? So mm-hmm. first of all, I really appreciate what you just said, Trevor, and I want to really highlight that because you, you really kind of highlighted that the addiction is a serves a protective function as well, right? And so yeah. when we're trying to change those behaviors, it's not that illogical that something we would try to find something else to protect us from those undesirable yep. emotional experiences, yep. right? So one's very common is anxiety, right? So the, the, uh, the unwanted sexual behavior b- provides a mask or a cover-up for that um, anxiety. And so, um, again, I think it's important that we think about this as a protective function, um, and it actually works in a way, um, and, but it, but it, when it's long-term, then it becomes the problem, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's important to sort of highlight. It, it unfortunately is very effective in the short term. So we see things, we've already sort of named this um, way to push down um, unwanted emotions. Some people say negative emotions. I actually don't like that language. Mm-hmm. I think all, all emotions are a gift from God and, and mm-hmm. emotions are meant to flow like a river is my belief. And when they do, we're, in our, we're at our best not flowing like a tsunami and overwhelming us, but to find the space where it flows like a river, where we can feel what we feel and then and then sort of move beyond it. I always think about small children and how they feel what they feel so intensely, and then they're done, right? Because they've discharged that emotion. And right. then we become adults and we, we start to think in these more complex ways and, and we get caught in traps sometimes. Sometimes mm-hmm. just throw a tantrum on the cookie owl and you can't have what you want and then you're fine, <laughs> right? Like there's there really is that feel what you feel. Yeah. Um, so that emotional piece is really important. And unfortunately, sometimes in religious communities, um, sometimes religious communities don't do a good job with that. They tell us it's not okay to be angry. Um, it's not okay to be sad. It's not okay to be afraid. Whereas I think we have scriptural um, references that, that show Jesus in all of those spaces, being angry, being sad, being afraid in, in his humanity, right? Um, and so, um, uh, so I think that's one of the big ways. We also see people who will find a charismatic leader and blindly follow them. And that can be a religious leader. Um, it can be a sponsor. We see that sometimes where sponsors are sort of, um, sort of put up on a pedestal in a godlike sort of way and followed uh, everything that they say is, is treated as, as absolute truth. And the person's not thinking on their own. That's the problem, right? That we're not... We're not aware. That's how cults get formed. Um, that's how really um, uh, a lot of damage can be done in a sponsor-sponsee relationship in some instances where that person's just given too much authority, too much responsibility, and no accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, so we see that. Um, we do see that um, uh, that we can just pray this away or we'll pray more or we'll pray more earnestly and be delivered from this. I want to be clear. I'm a person of faith. I think that God does miracles every day. Um, and... Um, sometimes pray more is a way to abdicate personal responsibility, and therein lies the problem, right? So we we need to, we we might we might need to be more earnest in our prayer life and create some accountability, create, have an accountability partner, have some yeah. um, monitoring software on our computers. When I have, so there there are steps to take that are still make sense beside the prayer, alongside mm-hmm. the prayer, right? So that it is a both and rather than an either or. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those are the um, main ones. We do see people um, sometimes, and I think this can be a coping strategy for, um, uh, for people with addictions who sort of see themselves as being um, spiritually superior or, or there's a spiritual narcissism that we see sometimes in spiritual bypass that I'm, I'm somehow favored by God in some sort of way that makes the rules not apply to me. Mm-hmm. We see that yeah. where there's yeah. clergy sexual misconduct, right? Yeah. We see that a lot. And that's, that's spiritual bypass. You know, God told me that you are the chosen one for um, someone where there's, there's grooming behavior yeah. for uh, yeah. an inappropriate sexual relationship. Um, so we see it in, in um, that regard. 
Um, yeah, those are the ones that come to me right away. Those are the ones that certainly I see um, more often in from a counseling side of things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when I hear you ask that question, Trevor, I, I think of, and we kind of discussed this as well, but where there's premature forgiveness that takes place, uh-huh. kind of the forgive and forget, God forgave me, I forgave them. And that's truth. And I think that's what makes this spiritual bypass topic so challenging is that even what people are saying, there is an element of truth. It is true that Christ has forgiven me and my debt to him was way greater than what anyone would ever owe me. And so there is a a need in my faith to forgive others, but that shouldn't be absent of going through a grieving process of acknowledging what's been lost and really determining what does moving forward is reconciliation possible. And sometimes in a spiritual bypass, I think we just do this well, forgive and forget, and we yeah. move forward, and we're all happy, and things are good. When maybe there's not really been any deeper work to understand what we're even forgiving, yeah. and so that's that's one I've seen happen. And then, um, honestly, maybe this is more with the men I've worked with who chose not to do group, um, is when they I would call proclaim premature victory, like, oh, yeah. God delivered me from that. You know, it's been a good month. <laughs> and I'm sure, you know, I went to that experience or that event and I'm, yeah. man, this month I've hardly even had a lustful thought. And so I'm delivered. Gosh. And yeah. again, not really recognizing old patterns that yeah. are still there, circumstances that are going to be coming up down the road that can so mm-hmm. easily re-trigger. And if we just think we've got like this supernatural shield, um, which, which on a few occasions we do hear stories of someone that they feel God delivered them. And, yeah. and decades later, it's it's the same point of delivery. But for every one of those I've heard, I've heard literally hundreds yeah. <laughs> of the other story of, well, I thought yeah. I'd been delivered. I went forward at this service, but boy, two months later, I was back or two years. Or in some cases, I, I think of stories where it was seven, eight years down the road that they had just kind of blindly believed, I'm never going to struggle with that again. Yeah. And I don't even have to think about it. Right. And their guard was so down that when they got into a circumstance in life where they needed a go-to, they needed something to cope, uh, they went back to those old patterns. Right. And I, I think some of that is that spiritual bypass of, I'm I'm not really going to stay self-aware of my limitations and yeah. weaknesses. I'm just going to kind of proclaim this supernatural victory that that gives me this, you know, guarantee I'll never go back. And I, I think for most people, that's, that's not the work God wants to do in us. God mm-hmm. wants to bring transformation and transformation i think is something we usually partner actively in the transformation yeah. versus the you know magical snapping of fingers and it's all better well and as you're describing that what comes to mind is like i would refer to that as like situational sobriety <laughs> more than actual health where health is like a change of the way we do life um and so that's i mean that just that stands out as as very significant that um you know for me i you know, six years into recovery, almost seven. And I'm at the point now where I would say that I do have some health under my belt, but there may be seasons that come up in life that unless I've dealt with some parts of my story and parts of my addiction, things may flare back up, you know, and that's just proof that there's more healing and more recovery that needs to take place. And I think, you know, for me, one of the most detrimental examples of spiritual bypass is like the, um, I'm a new creation. I'm, I'm no longer the old creation. I shouldn't look at my past. I shouldn't go back and explore how messed up my family was or the dumb decisions I made when I was younger or whatever. And I think that that's one of the most common ones that I hear and not just in recovery, um, from sexual addiction, but man, with anything trauma related woundedness, um, it's like, well, I just don't want to focus on that anymore. And I think that we use scripture to gloss over our past and not address it. And we know that in sexual addiction, that is what motivates the behavior is woundedness that we have and trauma that we carry from our experiences. You know, it's interesting, like from the psychological, the psychological corollary of what you're, you guys are talking about is the difference between sobriety and recovery, mm-hmm. right? So sobriety is just not engaging in the old unwanted behaviors. That's, that's, that's a pretty simple definition. But I think that gets confused with recovery and recovery is the deeper work that you're talking about, Trevor, of healing what has been damaged that is underneath um, the unwanted sexual behavior, yep. whatever that might be. It's often trauma. We see that very regularly, that there's some early developmental trauma mm-hmm. that causes emotional dysregulation. And one way to manage that is through unwanted sexual behavior. It's why people continue to engage in the behavior, even though they don't want to, right. because the, the, the dysregulated emotion is so strong that they need to put that fire out in some way. And, yeah. and again, unfortunately, sexual behavior works in the short term um, <laughs> yes. as, as it does that thing. It yep. does it does re-regulate emotions, um, but ultimately then, of course, the, the solution becomes um, the problem. Totally. Yeah. 
Yeah, there are a couple of things. If I could comment on a couple of things you said, Nick, um, if that's okay, that I, I just want to put an exclamation point behind the idea of premature forgiveness. Mm. Um, we know psychologically forgiveness is a process, and I'm, I'm, I'm like you. I, I think for every one case I've heard of where somebody really has been sort of delivered by God of their unforgiveness in a moment, I've heard hundreds of cases of people who I think the norm is that it really is a it is a process of first deciding whether to forgive, which we are called to do as Christians, and then work the working through process which means touching the anger mm -hmm. touching the fact that we have hurt other people um, in a process that people really need to go through usually with support um, to be able to really let go of that grievance narrative um, and so i think we particularly with partners i think we do a real disservice when we um, encourage forgiveness as an event um, without mm. the recognition that there's a psychological working through process there. Wow. Um, the other, you know, there's one other um, sort of um, attribute of spiritual bypass that I want to name because I think it's important. And sometimes this can get really socially reinforced, which is um, compulsive goodness. Um, and the word compulsive is an important word there, right? Because we're, we're, we're called to be, you know, compassionate, loving people in Christ. Yeah. So, um, but there are people, and, and we've, we've probably all known people like this, or maybe we've been in this space before where, you know, we sign up for every committee in our religious community. We're doing everything. We're always, and sometimes even to our own detriment or to the detriment of our families, um, and in 12-step communities, we talk about people who work the steps 1, 2, 3, 12, uh, because 4 through 11 are really hard steps, but 12 is about serving other people, right? So I can go to this really comfortable place. Mm. I, can, mm. I can recognize my powerlessness, and then I can serve other people yeah. and not do yeah. some of the hard, active work of steps 4 through 11. So we see that compulsive goodness show up for people in if I, I can feel good about myself if I'm always taking care of other people. Yep. Again, we are called to, to take care of one another. So please please know that word compulsive is an yeah. important word. Yeah. Um, but it's a way to avoid our own sense of I'm not enough, I'm not okay, I'm not whatever that might be. We can mask that by taking care of other people. Yeah. yeah it's, so it's the avoidance function that's important here. Yeah. It's easier for me to focus on you than to have to focus on me. Absolutely. So, you know, we, we were already discussing this a little bit earlier, Dr. Craig, but that idea that this can be so subtle because there are elements of truth to the, the scriptural things that we might say. So for that, you know, Christ follower, believer who's listening, how can you help them maybe see the line between when is it spiritual bypass and when is it accurate theology? Um, and how do they know the difference between those two? Yeah, so it's it's complicated um, and it's yeah. nuanced. And, and sometimes when you even just bring up the idea of people, you have to do it in a very gentle way, right? Because yeah. it's sort of, if, if it is, um, I think about it, my analogy in my mind is that it's like a crutch and we don't just walk up and kick out a crutch out from under the arm of someone who needs it to stand up, yeah. right? So we do this in very compassionate ways. I think, you know, interestingly to me, um, you know, 125 years ago or so, Sigmund Freud wrote that religion is a disavowal of reality um, in one of the most scathing comments in the mental health field about religion. And I don't, I do not believe that is true, but I think it becomes a nice benchmark for thinking about a healthy religion versus spiritual bypass. Mm. If we are in spiritual bypass, we are to a certain extent disavowing reality. We are, um, we're trying to pretend like we're fine. Uh, we're trying to pretend like we're healed uh, when there's a lot of work yet to be done, right? So there is reality that we're denying when we're in spiritual bypass. So I think the, the, the truer path, um, the, the healthy religion, the healthy spirituality puts us in, gives us the courage to face yeah. all that it is. Right. One of my favorite writers is James Finley, who, who has written that God's love, God protects us from nothing, but God's love sustains us through everything. Hmm. So it is that love of God that gives us the courage, the fearlessness to go into these really painful, difficult places, knowing that we are not alone. As Christ followers, as children of God, we are not alone. Um, so for me, that's that's kind of becomes the benchmark. Does it have that avoidant function? Are we so, sort of pushing yeah. away something that is um, in an effort to um, to try to feel okay in the moment? So to me, yeah. and that's a slippery slope, right? It's very nuanced and we can convince ourselves because it's an unconscious process. Um, I'd love to say I've never engaged in spiritual bypass. Not true. Part of my interest in this is like, mm, yeah, if I look in the mirror, yeah, exactly. I see times and places where I've done this, right? right? I think probably most of us have. And, it, and in moments, I would, I would have argued to the death 
that this was good theology, this was true, this was right, because I was protecting whatever it was I didn't want to experience or feel, right? So, you know, we don't want to get into arguments with people about this. I think that's really important. Uh, Mm -hmm. That just doesn't work. Um, If somebody is really holding really tightly to something, we might be able to say, gosh, it seems like, you know, um, losing, losing a parent might be really painful and just let that sit there, right? Yeah. Like, and, and they go, nope, nope, because they were suffering and now they're with God and, and you know, and, and they're, and they're, it's like, that's what they need in that moment. Yeah. So we let them have that, but we also have invited that possibility that there's some sadness there, that there's grief, that mm-hmm. there's loss, that there's pain. Um, and so um, I, I think that's, um, that's sort of how I think about that. We, we have to be, ultimately, we have to show people a lot of grace when they're in spiritual bypass. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we, mm-hmm. we recognize it in, in themselves and when we recognize it in ourselves, right? We give ourselves some grace too. Yeah. Totally. Well, that's a good word for how really in this, like so many of the topics we discuss, we're going to need other people. If mm-hmm. we just try to do it on our own and navigate through our own thought process and believe we have no blind spots, we're going to be tripped up by it. But yep. that's where, whether in group or healthy family relationships or friendships, we're able to go to people. And I, I feel like this is something, Trevor, I hear you do a lot of just saying it. Is this something that that I'm misreading or am I am I kind of stuck in my way of seeing it or is this true? Is it legitimate? And letting other people speak into that, I think for all of us is so, mm-hmm. so valuable because otherwise we're in danger. Just like you said, Dr. Craig, if we look in the mirror and go, oh, I'm good. Oh, yeah. but maybe I'm not. And, you know, one other thing too that comes to mind for me in thinking um, where we run into problems, I, I think we confuse salvation language in scripture and and sanctification language. And what I mean by that is a lot of the truths that people use for spiritual bypass are really about salvation. They yeah. are eternal realities. Yep. I've been saved in Christ. I've been promised eternity. Um, I've been given uh, a renewed spirit, a new self. And those things are true because of salvation. And they're true at a spiritual level. But then we can ignore a lot of sanctification language, which is the journey of still becoming more mm-hmm. like Christ, which we could go through the New Testament, talk about how all the authors point out there is still the transformative work of becoming yeah. more like Christ, right. even while those things have been done for us. So I think that's where I would encourage um, you know, the Christian to look at this and say, am I practicing spiritual bypass because I've applied salvation language of I'm a new creation yeah. and tried to have it overwrite the, the process of sanctification in my life. Oh, that's good. Um, something that came to mind as you guys were talking was um, uh, maybe a, a distinction between accurate theology and spiritual bypass is um, you were talking about it, Craig, that avoidance um, is where spiritual bypass you know becomes more um, prevalent. That's where spiritual bypass hangs out. But I, I think the opposite of that, where if I have accurate theology, I would understand how God feels about me, the type of relationship he has with me, and that he wants to be, you know, one of the conversations I have a lot, specifically around emotions, and I struggle with emotions probably more than most people. Uh, I tend to be in my head more than in my heart. Um, But one of the things I hear a lot is, and one of the things I heard growing up a lot was that emotions, um, they're not really that important. Like they can be deceiving. They'll pull you away from reality and from what's true. And you need to think to be grounded. And, you know, the older I've gotten, the more into recovery um, I've, I've gone, I've realized that my body and my emotions, those things matter too, just as much as what I think or what I know um, as far as information. And God wants, like, if God didn't want me to feel emotions and be capable of them, he wouldn't have given them to me. Um, and if God wants to be in a relationship with me holistically, which I believe is taught through scripture, then that means my emotions too. And that means the situations and the pain and the trauma and the wounds that I've experienced. And so true theology is not avoiding, but inviting in is the language that I just going through my head right now, inviting God into the difficulty I have, into the trauma I've experienced, into the the stress, the anxiety, the tensions that I feel through life. That to me is someone who has an active relationship and an accurate theology when it comes to their relationship with the Lord. I don't know. We'll I, I agree with that. I think one of the ways I think about this, sometimes I really listen when I'm sitting with clients, I really listen for their image of God mm-hmm. and their relationship with God, right? Like what is their, um, what is their image or vision of how God um, thinks about them and feels toward them. 
And I think when we, we, we get caught in, um, this is a personal belief, uh, you may or may not agree, but my, my belief is at the core, God loves us through and through and through and has for all eternity. Mm. When we were, you know, it, it, the, most, the most beautiful moment, the most beautiful thing we've ever done, God loved us. And in the worst um, behavioral thing we've ever done, God loved us. No less, no more, God yeah. loved us. And so when we sit in that space, um, it, it, it all, we, we, are, we are children of God, and that's not conditional. But I think sometimes we get caught in a theology of we're not worthy or yeah. um, God doesn't hear our prayers because we're so wicked or evil people. These are, these are things clients have told me over time, right? And so when we get caught in that space, then it's not okay for me to be anxious. It's not okay for me to have yeah. um, uh, uh, a sexual thought. It's not okay. And we start trying to pretend to stuff those things down rather than acknowledging them. And knowing that in that moment, we are no less loved by God. And so I think that, that it is that integration of, of body and mind and theology and soul and spirit. It yeah. is that coming together of all of that, where we look at all of that. And we can look at the fact that we are, we are children of God and we are recovering addicts and we are, um, we are jerks sometimes and we lose our temper yeah. sometimes. And we, you know, we are imperfect. Uh, we are human. And so I think it is, it is the capacity. I, I think a lot about the fact that the words whole, healing, and holy all come from the same root word. Yeah. Right. And that really matters to me. I, someone could say, well, that's just semantics. I don't think it is. I think it's when we can look at all of those parts of ourselves and not condone the bad things that we've done. I'm not yeah. saying that or not dismiss them, um, but embrace them and know that they are part of our story. They're part of our journey. Yeah. Uh, and and that God loves us through and through. Um, that to me, that is that is so critical in this process because that gives us the courage yeah. to walk into those places that feel pretty uncomfortable. Absolutely. Uh, for us. Yeah, it yeah. goes goes back to the word of the day: integration. Yeah, that's right. Integrating that I am emotions and mind. Integrating that I am loved and have work to do and things to face. And and being whole and holy is about integrating those yeah, things. Absolutely. Um, Craig, one of the things, and I, I've heard you talk about this a little bit before, um, and I think it, it somehow, in my mind, it's connected to that idea of doing like compulsive good or compulsively serving, um, is this idea of toxic positivity, which is such mm -hmm. a funny thing to say. It seems like an oxymoron, but um, what is toxic positivity and what issues do you see this causing kind of in this conversation we're already having and even in the church? It's, you know, toxic positivity has become kind of a buzz phrase, but it's intriguing to me how, um, uh, I, you know, I, 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 I grew up in the church. I've lived all my life in different religious communities and the frequency with which I see community. This is not true for every um, church, for sure. Um, but the, the frequency with which I, I walk into communities and when you watch people, you watch the exchange, the exchange is predictable. How are you? And there seems to be, in, in, in my experience, maybe this is a Southern U.S. thing, I don't know, um, but there seem to be three acceptable answers to the question, how are you in church? You're either fine, you're blessed, or you're highly favored. Yeah. Um, and, and, that, and those are the three acceptable responses. And um, anything else gets a look of like, don't you know the right answers to those questions or fine, blessed or highly favored. Yeah. So there's this idea that we, um, you know, we, we present ourselves, we, we put a mask on when we walk into the very place that I would like to think we could be the most yeah. honest and the most real. Um, because the reality is when everybody says they're fine, nobody's safe, nobody feels really safe to say, I'm not okay. It's really hard to say, I'm not okay. Yeah. When everybody around you is saying they're fine, right? And, and for starters, we compare our internal experience to other people's external appearance, right? They look fine, yeah. right? Most of us look fine when we're not on the inside. Yeah. And so I think that when we... Um, uh, there, there's something beautiful that happens. It happens in 12-step groups. It happens in therapy groups. And it happens in churches when they are at their healthiest, I think, which is that it's, it's, it's not only okay to not be okay, um, but it's just seen as this beautiful thing to be real and authentic and raw with one another, yeah. to be imperfect, to be incomplete, to be not yet whole, right? We're all works in progress. And, and what I find is just this, the, the beautiful things that happen when those spaces get created where people are, are, can, can not engage in toxic positivity. They can be real with each other because the reality is, you know, we're three guys having this conversation. We're all struggling with something right now. 
you know, we're not going to talk about it in this venue, but it's it's there uh, for all of us because it's the human condition. Mm -hmm. I believe that. Yeah. It may be it may be really acute and really tough for us right now, or maybe yeah, we're doing kind of mostly okay now, yeah. but we're all struggling with something all the time. That yeah. is life. And so the more we can acknowledge that, the better off, uh, better off that we are. So toxic positivity is a can be if if it's if it's got that that sort of religious language around it, can be a form of spiritual bypass where we're we're pretending that we're not struggling with anything. Um, I've recently, when people have asked me that question, like, "How are you doing?" Literally, I'll say this: "How much time do you have?" Yeah, do you <laughs> like, really want to know? Yeah, because like, if you really wanted to know, you wouldn't ask me this question right now because yeah, we're just passing yeah. by in the hallway, you know. But I think it could get to the other side too, really easily, where you just be kind of you kind of adopt this victim mindset, and so I think we have to find that balance between the two. Um, yeah. But you know, sometimes for someone who lives in this idea or this realm of toxic positivity. The idea of being honest about how you're actually doing can feel like a victim mindset, can feel so extreme to the other side, but that's mm -hmm. not true. I mean, I think we have to embrace the discomfort a little bit. And a lot of people who go through uh, counseling, who go through pure desire groups, um, people who go through 12 step groups, recovery groups, they'll understand that you have to lean into that discomfort and you realize that on the other side comes community and intimacy and being known and health is on that side. And so that's just something we're going to have to wherever we're at in recovery, continue to push into that vulnerability and that discomfort a little bit. Yeah, I think for a lot of people, they've maybe defined a version of toxic positivity as what it means to be a Christian. Yeah. Because it's like, well, I've, I've got faith in the resurrection and eternity. And, you know, it says Jesus gave me joy and peace that passes understanding. Mm -hmm. And so in every situation, we feel like, well, to be a faith-filled person, I've got to put this positive spin on it that it's not really bad because look at all these truths that I believe. Right. Um, and I, I think what we're discussing here is we need to create environments, we need to create space where it's perfectly okay to be grieving yeah. and still have faith of the joy to come, that, that the two don't like cancel each other out, or it's, it's okay to be stuck in some um, disappointment over my own decisions or behaviors or things I've done this week and believe in a God that forgives and is leading me towards his yeah. eternal home. Like, I, I think we just don't allow enough space for that. And so people feel like, well, I want to I want to be seen as a person of faith. So I'll just choose the silver lining here when right. we've maybe created a dichotomy that doesn't even exist, Yeah, that, that we can have both. Right. I, I, I love that, Nick. And the, and the key word there is and, right? We, and, can, we, yeah. can, be, we can be grieving and yep. have faith totally. that, that God will help us navigate this loss that we've experienced in our life. It's, it is that and I think that is so critical because when we get into the or, yep. either, either, I am, right. either I am joyous and happy all the time or I'm yeah. somehow um, not okay. In yeah. God's eyes, that's that's the trap. I think black so, and white thinking. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I have a theology professor who um, emphasizes that suffering and the difficulty that we go through is actually something that should be lifting our eyes to eternity and say, "This is what should help me anticipate the kingdom and anticipate no longer being in the presence of sin and brokenness." And I think that's encouraging. He's not saying escape it. It's just keeping that eternity at this. Uh, I've got a group of, of guys where we're going through screw tape letters. I've never read the C.S. Lewis book before until right now. And there's a, there's a, a letter in there. Um, if you haven't read it, please do. It is fascinating and very, very, I, it's like C.S. Lewis is living today, but he wrote this like 50, 60 years ago. Um, but one of the things that became so clear is um, in that is that we need to be living in the present with an eye to eternity. And uh, what Lewis and his understanding of um, demons and their lies and everything is to get us out of the present and also not thinking about eternity, but thinking about the negatives coming in the future. I don't know why that felt connected, but there you go. Some stuff from Screw Tape no, Letters. I, I agree. I completely agree. So the, I think that I think the path there is when as best we can, and that's an important phrase, right? Because we're not going to do it perfectly, right. but as best we can to lean into that suffering. It doesn't mean we're not going to engage in spiritual bypass at some point because it's too much. It doesn't mean we're not going to eat a bag of Oreos because sometimes it's just that's the most delicious way to eat my emotions that I know, right? <laughs> so we all do those things from time to time. We're yeah. imperfect in this process, but right. as best we can to lean into that suffering, to lean into that struggle with the faith that God will work with us yep. when we are doing that leaning in. It's that collaborative process that seems so critical to me. That's what the serenity prayer really says, right? Yep. That we do our part and we surrender to God what is not ours to, yep. to manage and control and manipulate 
um, and then struggle with that discernment process to figure out which is which. Yeah. yeah. Why in these examples is it always a bag of Oreos? Because I, I think really the for me, it's you. chewy, soft baked chips ahoy would be way more <laughs> tempting. But anyway, that's a different podcast. Uh, Dr. Craig, let's start to turn the page a little bit and look more towards like next steps. How do we grow? So as you've said, this is something that can be present in all of us where we're tempted to use spiritual bypass. So how can we avoid uh, falling into the habit of using spiritual bypass um, and avoid doing the hard work of recovery? How do we how do we stop doing this or at least move in the right direction? Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, there's some really good research that um, um, a lot of it has been done with um, uh, cancer survivors who are people of faith. And the people who fare the best, not only medically, but psychologically, are people who find this path where they have this collaborative effort with God, right? And it really, it really comes down to the serenity prayer, what I just said. Um, and so I think that when we're recognizing that we are partners with God in this process, there are, there are aspects of our journeys that, you know, there, there's a big difference between surrender and abdicating personal responsibility. Yep. Those are not the same thing. That's they can good. look a lot alike from yep. a spiritual bypass standpoint, but we know there are steps that people need to take. And I, I use steps in terms of, you know, 12 steps, but also just there, there are actions that people need to take to be healthy. Uh, they need to do things differently. Not eating a bag of Oreos every night to cope with your emotions, or 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 chips, holy cookies, is a good example. Um, and and so I, I think about it a lot of um, like what are because this happens at a community level too, right? And it's not not just religious communities, although they can um, can do this, but it can it can happen in it can happen in work environments. It could happen anywhere where there's that kind of it's not okay to not be okay, so we all put the masks on and pretend like we're fine. Yeah. And so can we create safe spaces where people can be honest about those things? Not everybody in the world is safe. We shouldn't tell everybody everything. Mm -hmm. um, and, but, the, but there are, can we, do I have a safe space? So I, I know I have a safe space in God. Do I have a safe space in a brother or sister in Christ that I can talk to who I know is not going to judge me, not going to shame me, but can hold the space for that struggle and not, not offer me these platitudes that are, are essentially um, spiritual bypass language, right? I think that's really critical. So I think we can work at this at a community level. And I think we, we all, um, I always say the, the way to work with this at an individual level is stay curious, hmm. stay curious about, okay, so I'm saying this thing, do I feel it as truth? Does it feel like I'm pushing something away? Because until we can touch that thing that we're pushing away, it doesn't mean we have to embrace it right away, yeah. but until we can become aware, okay, so I do this thing because I don't want to feel this, this anxiety, or I yeah. don't want to feel the shame that's bubbling up in me there. The naming of it is such a critical first step. In the, in the mental health world, we say you can't heal what you can't feel, yep. um, which is a little bit of a cliche, but it's also true. Yeah. And so if we're pushing that stuff away all the time, whether it's spiritual bypass or a bag of Oreos um, or you know, alcohol, or you know, there's so many ways to, to run away. It can be compulsive exercise. It can be lots of different ways. Yeah. Until we can recognize what we're avoiding, we can't step into it to heal it. We can't be whole. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, that's, I think, the really critical work. And it's tricky and it's yeah. nuanced and it's, um, you know, the, the phrase cunning, baffling, powerful comes to mind here. So we're going to do it imperfectly. Um, and I think that's important as well. Again, that we show each other grace and that we show ourselves grace in that. If you want yeah. someone to double down on their spiritual bypass, confront them really harshly about it. <laughs> uh, they will, they will yeah. Yeah, absolutely guarantee they will, they that's will right. grab hold of it. And they'll walk away from you because you've become an unsafe person for them. So right. there's like there's a kindness, there's a the love of Christ that we extend to one another, even as we might be pointing out some of these things or just normalizing not being okay. That yeah. can be a way to just normalize it's okay to not be fine yeah. all the time. You can still be blessed and be struggling with anxiety totally. or unwanted sexual behavior yeah. or all of those things. It's again, it's the end. Right? Yeah. Yeah, what a powerful question we could be asking ourselves every morning just to say, what am I trying to avoid today and yep. why? And yep. and maybe we don't have the courage to ask that with someone else or bring it up to a, a spouse, but just internally or in our, you know, in a journal saying, what am I avoiding today and why? And trying to explore mm -hmm. those things. Because I, I think even that practice would keep us grounded in what we've been talking about, reality and integrating my faith into the real yep. emotional discomfort, painful things that I'm feeling or experiencing. And then I think inviting God and others into the process of facing those things with, you know, grace and integrity. 
I think, you know, you brought it up earlier, like, you know, I'm the type of person that tends to ask a lot of questions just to make sure I'm not missing something. And if I'm being honest, there's some of my brokenness and wounds that are mixed up in that. I don't want to look like an idiot. So if I get other people's perspective, then I look less like an idiot if I mess up. Um, Not that I'm sharing what really happens in my life or anything, but um, I think that that's one of like some of the fruit I get from that is this point where if other people can give me perspective and help poke some of the holes where I might be avoiding or bypassing what I'm feeling or experiencing. And they ask me a question that basically kind of like grabs me by the back of my jersey and pulls me. It's like, no, just sit in this moment for a second and evaluate. How do you feel? What is going on? What are some of the, um, you know, some of the things that have happened this week that led you to this point? Gosh, you know, you hear that adage that like, um, maybe it's not an adage, but I just like, you have like two heads are better than one. If you have four sets of eyes, you know, on something rather than just your own, that's a good thing. Like, you know, if you have people who are curious with you, you can ask those questions. That for me, in a lot of ways, I feel like has kickstarted um, that for myself, more self-awareness, more ability to address the the lies I believe, the brokenness I'm carrying around. I think that, you know, to your point, Craig, of curiosity, I think that um, if we allow ourselves to be curious and invite other people in, that's where we're going to see our tendencies to use spiritual bypass where those just tend to drop off. Cause it's like, well, I have these people around me who almost are holding me accountable to not spiritually bypass just as much as they are helping me pursue my own recovery and healing, sexual health, all that. Yeah. And, you know, I think I, I agree completely. So I, one of the ways that I think about this is that, especially if we're in chronic spiritual bypass, where we're using this a lot, um, I think about it as like it becomes an autopilot on an airplane, mm. right? We we have to get that autopilot flipped off somehow. We have to get that clipped off and, and be a little bit more conscious because it now is an unconscious automatic process that's happening. And so, so what both of you have just said is so beautiful. We have to slow down because it's an automatic thing. So we have to slow down that automatic thing to the point where we can even notice that we're doing it. And sometimes we need help. We need other people. We need we need the the people in our lives who can be uh, good mirrors, right? They can sort of hold hold that mirror up and let us see ourselves in a different way. We can't do it by ourselves, but with God's help and with the help of others, we we can. We all can yeah. do that, and we can step into that um, messy work of being human. Yeah, <laughs> no joke. Um, okay, so you kind of touched on this a little bit as we were going through that last question, but is it possible to help others recognize when they're using spiritual bypass? And I think the answer is yes. Already, I can tell the answer is yes, but don't just tell them, hey, you're spiritually <laughs> bypassing right now. You're being stupid. Tread Stop carefully. using. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what does it look like to help people? How does, how do, is it a modeling thing? Do we have conversations? What does it look like? I think, um, you know, Nick was talking about this at the outset about how this is tricky because it can be good theology and yeah. be spiritual bypass, yeah. right? So, um, and, and often the, the defense is, but that's, that's scriptural here. I can show you the, the chapter and verse. And so um, I think you just used an, a great word, Trevor, about modeling. So I think the more we can be vulnerable um, and I don't mean um, absurdly vulnerable or poorly boundaried in yeah. every situation in every context, but but where we know that we're in a safe space with someone, if we can let them know that we're not always okay, you know, mm. that we struggle sometimes, I think there's a real gift in that, that we give them permission to, 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 um, to be the same, to be human like us, yeah. right? We say it's sort of, it's okay to be. Yeah. So we were joking earlier, um, someone asked me how I'm doing. My answer is always, how much time do you have? Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of this, this non-detailed way of saying it's complicated, yeah. right? Um, and sometimes we stop and have those conversations, yeah. right? It, yeah. It's and, 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 and I share something or, or they share something with me. And I think those are beautiful moments of contact, you know, when people will get emotional and then they'll apologize for having emotions. And it's like, whew, what a gift you've given me by yeah, right. being this open with me in this space, right? So we want to normalize and support people in there. That there some pain came up for them and they were able to touch it and they were able to experience it and they were able to express it. Now they may have gotten messages that that's not okay. So they want to start packing that back away. Yeah. So we can just let them know what a gift it is to, to hold that space. So I think, those are the gentle kinds of ways we normalize. Like um, I, I always want to uh, normalize and validate those difficult spaces, right? So when someone is is in a grief space, an acute grief space, someone has just died very close to them, and they're um, 
they're, you know, they're saying, well, you know, I'm just glad they're suffering not any, anymore and they're with God now. And I will say, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So do you hear the and? Mm-hmm. So absolutely. And oh, I know you're so sad. Yeah. And it's got to be, it's got to be a big loss for you. It's going to take some time mm-hmm. for you to heal the pain that you feel right now. So I don't, I don't, I don't attack. I don't confront that as spiritual bypass. Theologically, yeah. it's true. And so I say, yes, and. Right. So I'm going to I'm going to take the spiritual truth for them, which is true. It's true for them. It's what I believe as well. And um, mm. there is a loss that you've experienced that causes pain here. So I think the more we can hold the and yeah. rather than the but or right. the or, um, I think the better a better chance we have of really supporting that person. What's cool about that, that two things, uh, the modeling and then what you've you know, you've done in your practice um, is it, what I see happening is you're giving someone permission to lean into that negative experience, that negative emotion. Um, you know, when you model it, I think, cause as you were sharing, I was thinking my kids, like my kids are going to watch me. My two sons are going to watch me. Um, and if they see me model spiritual bypass, like, oh, this is the right way to do it. You know, even though they know dad's not perfect, they're going to see that. But if I'm able to say, and, and we've been doing this, uh, one of my favorite things my family does is we do, as simple as it is, highs and lows. Every dinner, we do highs and lows of the day. And what I've realized is it's a powerful experience for my family every night because I'm giving, I think our, our friend Kurt Thompson talked about this, that you give um, your family the opportunity and the safe space to express negative emotion. Or not Sorry, Craig, not negative emotion. To express <laughs> emotion that they might've perceived as maybe negative or they didn't enjoy or some experience during the day that wasn't awesome. And just by offering that space, I give my family permission. I give myself permission to step forward. And then the same thing with your practice, Craig, when you say, yeah, I'm with you. And how does that make you feel? What, what are you experiencing in this moment as you think about it? It just gives people permission. And oftentimes people don't wanna kick doors down, but if you open them, they're a lot more likely to walk in. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny because that's the word I thought of too and was thinking about as a pastor when I would be doing funerals for families, you know, I'd often meet with the family ahead of time. And that's one of the pieces of advice I'd always give them is say, you know, in this process and during the funeral, you're probably going to feel a lot of emotion and it's okay, whatever it is. There may be points where you're laughing and really glad and you'll feel guilty, like, oh, I should feel bad. It's a funeral. It's like, don't, don't do that. Just be happy. And, and there'll be a point where you're sad or grieving and you'll feel like, oh, they're in a better place. I shouldn't be sad. Like, that's okay. Or you might be angry at them for being gone and you'll feel guilt of how can I be angry at a dead person? Like that's a normal emotion. Or you may even feel an emotion of relief, like being glad they're gone because maybe you're done caring for them or done paying for them. And, and you'll feel terrible that I'm glad they're dead. Like those are just part of being a human and whatever it is, like just kind of let the emotion be there and don't tell yourself how you're supposed to feel or how you're supposed to respond let yourself respond how you will. And I think when people feel that freedom, and that's my hope that in our Pure Desire groups is what people are doing is they feel freedom to feel whatever they are. And if they're in a great place and excited and moving forward, great. And if they're having a week with like, I hate this, this is dumb, I'm tired of it, to be like, amen, brother. Yeah, (laughs) I've been there too. All that is a part of going through this journey. And so when people know it's all okay, then I think we get to be authentic and present and not trying to act like we're supposed to or the way we're supposed to feel. Yeah, So absolutely. Yeah, so Dr. Craig, you've talked about this, but to go back to our word of the day of integration, when we think of growing and, and people moving towards uh, greater health, how would you encourage our listeners to work on that, on the integration of my faith and the psychological work, or for others, maybe it's belief and emotion. Like what, what would you say helps people integrate if they are listening and realizing this is something they really struggle with? Yeah. So I, you know, there's a, there's a passage of scripture that we're all familiar with where Jesus is quoted as saying, you know, be ye therefore perfect. Right. <laughs> I struggled with that. As oh, a yeah. health professional Good luck who, with that one. Who, who believed that Jesus was like the great psychologist. I struggled with that passage for a long time. And Heard theologians say, well, it's aspirational. We're not perfect, but we want to aspire to be that. But what I know from a mental health standpoint is that the desire to be perfect is actually psychologically unhealthy Mm. uh, because it leaves you feeling like you're never enough, right? And so what worked for me, and I'm I'm not a biblical scholar, so there may be folks that roll their eyes when I say this. That's okay. It works for me, um, is that um, Aramaic scholars, Aramaic would have been the language that Jesus would have been speaking, actually say that may not be the best translation, a better translation might be complete Mm. or whole. Yeah. 
and it's in the context of scriptures about ripe ripe vines and and producing you know fruit and that sort of thing. So it's about being being mature, being whole, being complete, and psychologically that holds really well for me. Hmm. Um, because what we're saying is I'm a child of God and I struggle with unwanted sexual behavior. Yeah. Um, and that's the completeness, right? That I can own. And I struggle with unwanted sexual behavior because I have these panic attacks that, that, that drive me to that behavior. Yeah. Right. And so as we can touch all of those things and find, find grace and compassion for all of those parts of ourselves, the parts that are, that we love and that we think God loves and the parts that we don't like, and that we think maybe God's not mm -hmm. fond of again, if God loves all of us, then we can hold space for all of that. And that is, I think when we become more complete, we become more healed and we become closer to God. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I think it's, it's, but, and it's hard work, it's hard work and it's painful work. Um, and I think we have to acknowledge that too, that it's not, it's not easy by any stretch of the imagination and with God's help, it's possible. I, uh, for all of us. Uh, I, yeah. I think it too, you know, it, it, it seems like a really simple argument and I think people can argue it, uh, against it, you know, from scripture in so many different ways. But, um, if God made us to have emotions and to have thoughts and for, um, you know, I think of uh, Van der Kolk's book, Body Keeps the Score, if our body physically wears the trauma that we've experienced and God's created us that way, that when we find scientific uh, discovery as to why things happen, why we experience things the way we do, why we process through addictions the way we do, and we start to see that psychological reality, um, I think that we're just catching up to the way God already created us to be. Um, and I think, you know, if it's not unbiblical to do research on the brain, the way God created the brain, like, wouldn't God want us to understand that more so that we can better apply the truths of scripture to who we are and how we think and process. And so that's kind of where I'm at right now in that integration. Cause for me, I find like, I feel like I'm walking a tightrope oftentimes between psychology and the church. And I'm, I'm like holding this really long bar trying to keep balanced. And I think the older I've gotten, the more I've become secure in that spot, that it's okay to live that balanced life. And it's okay to understand that God created us with emotions, with thoughts, with a brain, with body that reacts and responds different ways. And I think that we're just pressing more into the reality that we already live in and that how God's created it. We just have different terminology maybe to describe it. Um, all right. So let's, this has been so good, Craig. And I knew it was going to be good. You know what I mean? Like we're sitting in PSAP training and I'm like, we got to get this guy on the podcast um, but just, I want to, we want to do this a lot. We do this a lot with our outside guests too. Just any final encouragements. We want to give you an opportunity to, um, you know, think about the listener out there, someone who's in recovery, maybe they've just started, uh, maybe they're a, a year or two in, maybe we have some spouses out there that are betrayed and are going through their healing. When it comes to spiritual bypass, what would you leave them with as far as encouragement to, um, drop this approach to healing and recovery and, um, yeah, and really take those next steps for them in their journey. Yeah, I would encourage patience because it, it is work. Mm, it is a yeah, process. Gosh. You know, this process of becoming more aware um, and staying curious about this part of yourself. Um, but, you know, from a, from a faith standpoint, for me, I think a lot about um, – uh, what are what what are we really sort of called to do? We're called to love God and to love what God loves, mm. and God loves everything, right? So again, to me, the, the the core of this is recognizing that God understands our struggles in a way that we can't even fathom, and loves us through and through in the midst of all that. And can we even get a glimpse of seeing ourselves that way? So giving ourselves that grace, and, and there's a big difference between grace and and denying responsibility and making excuses and deflecting and all the things that we know that that, that people do in recovery. Um, but can we be, can we hold that space of love uh, for ourselves, for, um, for God and for how God loves us? And I think it's in that space that we can find the courage um, to do this work. Um, and, but it, and it takes patience and it takes time. Now, again, there may be, there may be epiphanies, uh, but for most of us, this is, this is a, uh, uh, trusting in the slow work of God as, as, uh, Taylor Deschardins said. Mm. Yeah. That's a great word. Uh, what I think of as we wrap up is just how in the first pillar, Dr. Ted Roberts brings up that point that recovery requires a radical commitment to reality at all costs. And mm -hmm. I think that's what we're talking about here is that radical commitment to staying present and to being present with yeah. those we love and with God and not, 
to me, that's something I really will take away from the spiritual bypass is that as soon as I begin to disengage from my reality, I'm probably in danger of going into spiritual bypass or, you know, going into addiction. So, right. <laughs> you know, two different roads that yeah, people walk there. Sure. But, but just to be aware of that, like if I make my goal to stay present, um, I'm going to face the hard stuff and the emotions and I'm going to invite people in. But it, it kind of starts with that commitment to be present. And uh, that's an encouragement I'd give to everyone today. Yeah. And I'll just say my takeaway has just been, um, you know, you talk about the idea of it being a coping strategy, spiritual bypass, like we will find any way we can to avoid the pain and, you know, negative experiences that we have. And so, um, you know, as Nick, as you were mentioning, just press into those. And, and honestly, this is why community is so important because we all have a tendency to slip right back into spiritual bypass, uh, to avoid that because none of us want to feel pain. So we need, we need to stay in community. Um, Craig, this has been amazing. Uh, we obviously love you, love your work, um, have loved this time together with you. And we're just so appreciative of your ministry, of the resources that um, you've been a part of and you've written what you do with ITAP and for just serving our community. So appreciate you so much. Thank you. Yeah, it's my, my pleasure. And I appreciate the work that you folks are doing as well and the, and the healing that you are supporting um, through your ministry. So thank you as well. Thank you. And wherever you're at, listener, on your journey, Pure Desire is here to help create a roadmap for your healing. If you or someone you know is impacted by sexual brokenness or betrayal trauma, go to puredesire.org and let's start the healing journey today. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Each week we put out new content to help you on the road to healing and freedom. And lastly, never stop being healthy. Here's what's coming up next week on the Pure Desire podcast. Nothing about that felt triggering to me. The recovery plans are not just to set it and forget it. I feel when I get in that rut and I'm like, I feel like I need something. I start to actually feel shame about those behaviors. A number of years in my recovery, that was just an area of my life I had to eliminate. And I'm like, oh, now I have OCD. That's fun. Life is not the same anymore. That's appropriate. Asking for help, but it's not appropriate just to expect them to do the work for you. 